Chapter Twenty Four of Joshua by George Ebers. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Four. The prisoners of state who were being transported to the mines made slow progress. Even the experienced captain of the guards had never had a more toilsome trip or one more full of annoyances, obstacles, and mishaps. One of his moles, Ephraim, had escaped. He had lost his faithful hounds, and after his troop had been terrified and drenched by a storm, such as scarcely occurred in these desert regions, once in five years, a second had burst the next evening, the one which brought destruction on Pharaoh's army, and this had been still more violent and lasting. The storm had delayed the march, and after the last cloud burst, several convicts and guards had been attacked by fever, owing to their wet night quarters in the open air. The Egyptian asses, too, who were unused to rain, had suffered and some of the best had been left on the road. Finally, they had been obliged to bury two dead prisoners, and place three who were dangerously ill on the remaining asses, and the other prisoners were laden with the stores, hitherto carried by the beasts of burden. This was the first time such a thing had happened, during the leader's service of five and twenty years, and he expected severe reproofs. All these things exerted a baneful influence on the disposition of the man, who was usually reputed one of the kindest-hearted of his companions in office, and Joshua, the accomplice of the bold lad whose flight was associated with the other vexations, suffered most sorely from his ill humor. Perhaps the irritated man would have dealt more gently with him, had he complained like the man behind him, or burst into fierce oaths like his yoke mate, who made threatening allusions to the future when his sister-in-law would be in high favor with Pharaoh, and know how to repay those who ill-treated her dear relative. But Hosea had resolved to bear whatever the rude fellow and his mates chose to inflict, with the same equanimity that he endured the scorching sun, which, ever since he had served in the army, had tortured him during many a march through the desert, and his steadfast, manly character helped him keep this determination. If the captain of the gang loaded him with extra heavy burdens, he summoned all the strength of his muscles, and tottered forward without a word of complaint, until his knees trembled under him. Then the captain would rush to him, throw several packages from his shoulders, and exclaim that he understood his spite. He was only trying to be left on the road, to get him into fresh difficulties, but he would not allow himself to be robbed of the lives of the men who were needed in the mines. Once the captain inflicted a wound that bled severely, but he instantly made every effort to cure it, gave him wine to restore his strength, and delayed the march half a day to permit him to rest. He had not forgotten Prince Sipta's promise of a rich reward to anyone who brought him tidings of Hosea's death, but this was the very reason that induced the honest-hearted man to watch carefully over his prisoner's life, for the consciousness of having violated his duty, for the sake of reaping any advantage, would have robbed him of all pleasure in food and drink, as well as of the sound sleep, which were his greatest blessings. So though the Hebrew prisoner was tortured, it was never beyond the limits of the endurable, and he had the pleasure of rendering, by his own great strength, many of service to his weaker companions. He had commended his fate to the God who had summoned him to his service, but he was well aware that he must not rest content with mere pious confidence, and therefore thought by night and day of escape. 
but the chain that bound him to his companions in suffering was too firmly forged and was so carefully examined and hammered every morning and evening that the attempt to escape would only have plunged him into greater misery the prisoners had at first marched through a hilly region then climbed upward with a long mountain chain in view and finally reached a desert country from which truncated sandstone cones rose singly from the rocky ground on the fifth evening they encamped near a large mountain which nature seemed to have piled up from flat layers of stone and as the sun on the sixth day rose they turned into a side valley leading to the mines in the province of beck during the first few days they had been overtaken by a messenger from the king's silver house but on the other hand they had met several little bands bearing to egypt malachite turquoise and copper as well as the green glass made at the mines among those whom they met at the entrance of the cross valley into which they turned on the last morning was a merry couple on their way homeward after having received a pardon from the king the captain of the guards pointed them out to encourage his exhausted moles but the spectacle produced the opposite effect for the tangled locks of the man who had scarcely passed his thirtieth year were gray his tall figure was bowed and emaciated his naked back was covered with scars and bleeding wails the wife who had shared his misery was blind she sat cowering on an ass in the dull torpor of insanity and though the passing of the convicts made a startling interruption to the silence of the wilderness and her hearing had remained keen she paid no heed but continued to stare indifferently into vacancy the sight of the hapless pair placed hosea's own terrible future before him as if in a mirror and for the first time he groaned aloud and covered his face with his hands the captain of the guards perceived this and touched by the horror of the man whose resolution had hitherto seemed peerless called to him they don't all come home like that no indeed because they are even worse off he thought but the poor whites needn't know it beforehand the next time i come this way i'll ask for hosea i shall want to know what has become of this bull of a man the strongest and the most resolute succumb the most quickly then like a driver urging an unharnessed team forward he swung the lash over the prisoners but without touching them and pointing to a column of smoke which rose behind a cliff at the right of the road he exclaimed there are the smelting furnaces we shall reach our destination at noon there will be no lack of fire to cook lentils and doubtless you may have a bit of mutton too for we celebrate to-day the birth of the good god the son of the sun may life health and prosperity be his for the next half hour their road led between lofty cliffs through the dry bed of a river down which after the last rains a deep mountain torrent had poured to the valley but now only a few pools still remained after the melancholy procession had passed around a steep mountain whose summit was crowned with a small egyptian temple of hathor and a number of monuments it approached a bend in the valley which led to the ravine where the mines were located flags hoisted in honor of pharaoh's birthday were waving from tall masts before the gates of the little temple on the mountain and when loud shouts uproar and clashing greeted the travellers in the valley of the mines which was wont to be so silent the captain of the guards thought that the prisoner's greatest festival was being celebrated in an unusually noisy way 
and communicated this conjecture to the other guards who had paused to listen. Then the party pressed forward without delay, but no one raised his head. The noonday sun blazed so fiercely, and the dazzling walls of the ravine sent forth a reflected glow as fierce as if they were striving to surpass the heat of the neighboring smelting furnaces. Spite of the nearness of the goal, the prisoners tottered forward as if asleep. Only one held his breath in the intensity of suspense. As the battle charger in the plow arches his neck and expands his nostrils, while his eyes flash fire, so Joshua's bowed figure, spite of the sack that burdened his shoulders, straightened itself, and his sparkling eyes were turned toward the spot, whence came the sounds the captain of the guards had mistaken for the loud tumult of festal mirth. He, Joshua, knew better. Never could he mistake the roar echoing there. It was the war cry of Egyptian soldiers, the blast of the trumpet summoning the warriors, the clank of weapons, and the battle shouts of hostile hordes. Ready for prompt action, he bent toward his yoke-mate, and whispered imperiously, The hour of deliverance is at hand. Take heed and obey me blindly. Strong excitement overpowered his companion also, and Hosea had scarcely glanced into the side valley, ere he bade him hold himself in readiness. The first look into the ravine had showed him, on the summit of a cliff, a venerable face framed in snowy locks, his father's. He would have recognized him among thousands, and at a far greater distance. But from the beloved gray head, he turned a swift glance at the guide, who had stopped in speechless horror, and supposing that a mutiny had broken out among the prisoners, with swift presence of mind, shouted hoarsely to the other guards, Keep behind the convicts and cut down everyone who attempts to escape. But scarcely as his subordinates hurried to the end of the train, ere Joshua whispered to his companion, At him! As he spoke, the Hebrew, who with his yoke-mate, headed the procession, attacked the astonished leader, and ere he was aware of it, Joshua seized his right arm, the other his left. The strong man, whose powers were doubled by his rage, struggled furiously to escape, but Joshua and his companion held him in an iron grasp. A single rapid glance had showed the chief the path he must take to join his people, True, it led past a small band of Egyptian bowmen, who were discharging their arrows at the Hebrews on the opposite cliff, but the enemy would not venture to fire at him and his companion, for the powerful figure of the captain of the guards, clearly recognizable by his dress and weapons, shielded them both. Lift the chain with your right hand, whispered Joshua. I will hold our living buckler. We must ascend the cliff, crab fashion. His companion obeyed, and as they advanced within bowshot of the enemy, moving sometimes backward, sometimes sideways, they held the Egyptian before them, and with a ringing shout, The son of Nun is returning to his father and to his people! Joshua, step by step, drew nearer to the Hebrew combatants. Not one of the Egyptians who knew the captain of the prisoner's guard had ventured to send an arrow at the escaping prisoners. While the fettered pair were ascending the cliff backward, Joshua heard his name shouted in joyous accents, and directly after Ephraim, with a band of youthful warriors, came rushing down the height toward him. To his astonishment, Joshua saw the huge shield, sword, or battle-axe of an Egyptian, heavily armed soldier in the hands of each of these sons of his people, 
but the shepherd's sling and the bag of round stones also hung from many girdles ephraim led his companions and before greeting his uncle formed them into two ranks like a double wall between joshua and the hostile bowmen then he gave himself up to the delight of meeting and a second glad greeting soon followed for old nun protected by the tall egyptian shields which the sea had washed ashore had been guided to the projecting rock in whose shelter strong hands were filing the fetters from joshua and his companion while ephraim with several others bound the captain the unfortunate man had given up all attempt at resistance and submitted to everything as if utterly crushed he only asked permission to wipe his eyes ere his arms were bound behind his back for tear after tear was falling on the gray beard of the warder who outwitted and overpowered no longer felt capable of discharging the duties of his office none clasped to his heart with passionate fervor the rescued son whom he had already mourned as lost then releasing him he stepped back and never wearied of feasting his eyes on him and hearing him repeat that faithful to his god he had consecrated himself to the service of his people but it was for a brief period only that they gave themselves up to the bliss of this happy meeting the battle asserted its rights and its direction fell as a matter of course to joshua he had learned with grateful joy yet not wholly untinged with melancholy of the fate which had overtaken the brave army among whose leaders he had long proudly numbered himself and also heard that another body of armed shepherds under the command of her miriam's husband had attacked the turquoise mines of dovka which situated a little farther toward the south could be reached in a few hours if they conquered they were to join the young followers of ephraim before sunset the latter was burning with eagerness to rush upon the egyptians but the more prudent joshua who had scanned the foe though he did not doubt that they must succumb to the fiery shepherds who were far superior to them in numbers was anxious to shed as little blood as possible in this conflict which was waged on his account so he bade ephraim cut a palm from the nearest tree ordered a shield to be handed to him and then waving the branch as an omen of peace yet cautiously protecting himself advanced alone to meet the foe the main body were drawn up in front of the mines and familiar with the signal which requested negotiations asked their commander for an interview the latter was ready to grant it but first desired to know the contents of a letter which had just been handed to him and must contain evil tidings this was evident from the messenger's looks and the few words which though broken were pregnant with meaning that he had whispered to his countrymen while some of pharaoh's warriors offered refreshments to the exhausted dust-covered runner and listened with every token of horror to the tidings he hoarsely gasped the commander of the troops read the letter his features darkened and when he had finished he clenched the papyrus fiercely for it had announced tidings no less momentous than the destruction of the army the death of pharaoh menephetah and the coronation of his oldest surviving son as seti the second after the attempt of prince sipta to seize the throne had been frustrated the latter had fled to the marshy region of the delta and arsu the syrian after abandoning him and supporting the new king had been raised to chief command of all the mercenaries bai the high priest and chief judge had been deprived of his rank and banished by seti the second 
Sipta's confederates had been taken to the Ethiopian gold mines instead of to the copper mines. It was also stated that many women belonging to the house of the separated had been strangled, and Sipta's mother had undoubtedly met the same fate. Every soldier who could be spared from the mines was to set off at once for Tanis, where veterans were needed for the new legions. This news exerted a powerful influence, for after Joshua had told the commander that he was aware of the destruction of the Egyptian army, and expected reinforcements, which had been sent to capture Dofka to arrive within a few hours, the Egyptian changed his imperious tone, and endeavored merely to obtain favorable conditions for retreat. He was but too well aware of the weakness of the garrison of the turquoise mines, and knew that he could expect no aid from home. Besides, the mediator inspired him with confidence. Therefore, after many evasions and threats, he expressed himself satisfied with the assurance that the garrison, accompanied by the beasts of burden and necessary provisions, should be allowed to depart unharmed. This, however, was not to be done until after they had laid down their arms, and showed the Hebrews all the galleries where the prisoners were at work. The young Hebrews, who twice outnumbered the Egyptians, at once set about disarming them, and many an old warrior's eyes grew dim, many a man broke his lance or snapped his arrows amid execrations and curses while some greybeards who had formerly served under joshua and recognized him raised their clenched fists and upbraided him as a traitor the dregs of the army were sent for this duty in the wilderness and most of the men bore in their faces the impress of corruption and brutality those in authority on the nile knew how to choose soldiers whose duty it was to exercise pitiless severity against the defenseless. At last the mines were opened, and Joshua himself seized a lamp, and pressed forward into the hot galleries where the naked prisoners of state, loaded with fetters, were hewing the copper ore from the walls. Already he could hear in the distance the picks, whose heads were shaped like a swallow's tail, bite the hard rock. Then he distinguished the piteous wails of tortured men and women, for cruel overseers had followed them into the mine, and were urging the slow to greater haste. Today, Pharaoh's birthday, they had been driven to the temple of Hathor, on the summit of the neighboring height, to pray for the king who had plunged them into the deepest misery, and they would have been released from labor until the next morning, had not the unexpected attack induced the commander to force them back into the mines, therefore today the women who were usually obliged merely to crush and sift the oars needed to make glass and dyes were compelled to labor in the galleries when the convicts heard joshua's shouts and footsteps which echoed from the bare cliffs they were afraid that some fresh misfortune was impending and wailing and lamentations arose in all directions but the deliverer soon reached the first convicts and the glad tidings that he had come to save them from their misery speedily extended to the inmost depths of the mines. Wild exultation filled the galleries which were wont to witness only sorrowful moans and burning tears. Yet loud cries for help, piteous wailings, groans, and the death rattle reached Joshua's ear. For a hot-blooded man had rushed upon the overseer most hated, and felled him with his pickaxe. His example quickly inflamed the other's thirst for vengeance, and, ere it could be prevented, the same fate overtook the other officials. But they had defended themselves, and the corpse of many a prisoner strewed the ground beside their tormentors. Obeying Joshua's call, 
the liberated multitude at last emerged into the light of day savage and fierce were the outcries which blended in sinister discord with the rattling of the chains they dragged after them even the most fearless among the hebrews shrank in horror as they beheld the throng of hapless sufferers in the full radiance of the sunlight for the dazzled reddened eyes of the unfortunate sufferers many of whom had formerly enjoyed in their own homes or at the king's court every earthly blessing who had been tender mothers and fathers rejoiced in doing good and shared all the blessings of the civilization of a richly gifted people these dazzled eyes which at first glittered through tears caused by the swift transition from the darkness of the mines to the glare of the noonday sun soon sparkled as fiercely and greedily as those of starving owls at first overwhelmed by the singular change in their destiny they struggled for composure and did not resist the hebrews who at joshua's signal began to file the fetters from their ankles but when they perceived the disarmed soldiers and overseers who guarded by ephraim and his companions were ranged at the base of a cliff a strange excitement overpowered them amid shrieks and yells which no name can designate no words describe they broke from those who were trying to remove their fetters and though no glance or word had been exchanged between them obeyed the same terrible impulse and unheeding the chains that burdened them rushed upon the defenceless egyptians before the hebrews could prevent it each threw himself upon the one who had inflicted the worst suffering upon him and here might be seen an emaciated man clutching the throat of his stronger foe yonder a band of nude women horribly disfigured by want and neglect rush upon the man who had most rudely insulted beaten and abused them and with teeth and nails wreaked upon him their long repressed fury it seemed as though the flood tide of hate had burst its dam and unfettered was demanding its victims there was a horrible scene of attack and defence a ferocious bloody conflict on foot and amid the red sand of the desert shrieks yells and howls pierced the ear nay it was difficult to distinguish individuals in this motley confusion of men and women animated on the one side by the wildest passion a yearning for vengeance amounting to bloodthirstiness and on the other by the dread of death and the necessity for self-defence only a few of the prisoners had succeeded in controlling themselves but they too shouted irritating words to their fellows reviled the egyptians in violent excitement and shook their clenched fists at the disarmed foe the fury with which the liberated serfs rushed upon their tormentors was as unprecedented as the cruelties they had suffered but joshua had deprived the egyptians of their weapons and they were therefore under his protection so he commanded his men to separate the combatants if possible without bloodshed but the task was no easy one and many new and horrible deeds were committed at last however it was accomplished and now they perceived how terribly rage had increased the strength of the exhausted and feeble sufferers for though no weapons had been used in the conflict a number of corpses strewed the spot and most of the guards were bleeding from terrible wounds after quiet had been restored joshua asked the wounded commander for the list of prisoners but he pointed to the clerk of the mines whom none of the convicts had assailed he had been their physician and treated them kindly an elderly man he had himself undergone sore trials and knowing the pain of suffering was ready to alleviate the pangs of others 
he willingly read aloud the names of the prisoners among which were several hebrew ones and after each individual had responded many declared themselves ready to join the wandering tribes when the disarmed soldiers and guards had at last set out on their way home the captain of the band that had escorted joshua and his companions left the other egyptians and with drooping head and embarrassed mien approached old nun and his son and begged permission to go with them for he could expect no favor at home and there was no god in egypt so mighty as theirs it had not escaped his notice that hosea who had once been a chief in the egyptian service had raised his hands in the sorest straits to this god and never had he witnessed the same degree of resolution that he possessed now he also knew that this same mighty god had buried pharaoh's powerful army in the sea to save his people such a god was acceptable to his heart and he desired nothing better than to remain henceforward with those who served him joshua willingly allowed him to join the hebrews then it appeared that there were fifteen of the latter among the liberated prisoners and to ephraim's special delight reuben the husband of poor melancholy milka who clung so closely to miriam his reserved laconic disposition had stood him in good stead and the arduous forced labor seemed to have inflicted little injury on his robust frame the exultation of victory the joy of success had taken full possession of ephraim and his youthful band but when the sun set and there was no sign of her and his band none and his followers were seized with anxiety ephraim had already proposed to go with some of his companions in quest of tidings when a messenger announced that hers men had lost courage at the sight of the well-fortified egyptian citadel their leader it is true had urged them to the assault but his band had shrunk from the peril and unless none and his men brought aid they would return with their mission unfulfilled it was therefore resolved to go to the assistance of the timorous with joyous confidence they marched forward and during the journey through the cool night ephraim and nun described to joshua how they had found kasana and how she had died what she had desired to communicate to the man she loved was now made known to him and the warrior listened with deep emotion and remained silent and thoughtful until they reached dovka the valley of the turquoise mines from whose centre rose the fortress which contained the prisoners her and his men had remained concealed in a side valley and after joshua had divided the hebrew force into several bodies and assigned to each a certain task he gave at dawn the signal for the assault after a brief struggle the little garrison was overpowered and the fortress taken the disarmed egyptians like their companions at the copper mines were sent home the prisoners were released and the lepers whose quarters were in a side valley beyond the mines among them were those who at joshua's bidding had been brought here were allowed to follow the conquerors at a certain distance what her miriam's husband could not accomplish joshua had done and ere the young soldiers departed with ephraim old nun assembled them to offer thanks to the lord the men under hers command also joined in the prayer and wherever joshua appeared ephraim's companions greeted him with cheers hail to our chief often rang in the air as they marched forward hail to him whom the most high himself has chosen for his sword we will gladly follow him for through him god leads us to victory 
Hur's men also joined in these shouts, and he did not forbid them. Nay, after the storming of the fortress, he had thanked Joshua and expressed his pleasure in his liberation. At the departure, the younger man had stepped back to let the older one precede him, but Hur had entreated gray-haired nun, who was greatly his senior, to take the head of the procession, though after the deliverance of the people on the shore of the Red Sea, he had himself been appointed by Moses and the elders to the chief command of the Hebrew soldiers. The road led first through a level mountain valley, then it crossed the pass known as the Sword Point, which was the only means of communication between the mines and the Red Sea. The rocky landscape was wild and desolate, and the path to be climbed steep. Joshua's old father, who had grown up on the flat plains of Goshen, and was unaccustomed to climbing mountains, was born amid the joyous acclamations of the others, in the arms of his son and grandson, to the summit of the pass. But Miriam's husband, who at the head of his men, followed the division of Ephraim's companions, heard the shouts of the youths, yet moved with drooping head and eyes bent on the ground. At the summit they were to rest and wait for the people who were to be led through the wilderness of sin to Dovka. The victors gazed from the top of the pass in search of the travelers, but as yet no sign of them appeared. But when they looked back along the mountain path whence they had come, a different spectacle presented itself, a scene so grand, so marvelous, that it attracted every eye as though by a magic spell, for at their feet lay a circular valley, surrounded by lofty cliffs, mountain ridges, peaks and summits, which here white as chalk, yonder raven black, here gray and brown, yonder red and green, appeared to grow upward from the sand, toward the azure sky of the wilderness, steeped in dazzling light, and unshadowed by the tiniest cloudlet. All that the eye beheld was naked and bare, silent and lifeless. On the slopes of the many-colored rocks, which surrounded the sandy valley, grew no blade of grass nor smallest plant. Neither bird, worm, nor beetle stirred in these silent tracks, hostile to all life. Here the eye discerned no cultivation, nothing that recalled human existence. God seemed to have created for himself alone these vast tracts which were of service to no creature. Whoever penetrated into this wilderness entered a spot which the Most High had perchance chosen for a place of rest and retreat, like the silent, inaccessible holy of holies of the temple. The young men had gazed mutely at the wonderful scene at their feet. Now they prepared to encamp and showed themselves diligent in serving old nun, whom they sincerely loved. Resting among them under a hastily erected canopy, he related, with sparkling eyes, the deeds his son had performed. Meanwhile, Joshua and her were still standing at the top of the pass, the former gazing silently down into the dreary, rocky valley, which overarched by the blue dome of the sky, surrounded by the mountain pillars and columns from God's own workshop, open before him as the mightiest of temples. The old man had long gazed gloomily at the ground, but he suddenly interrupted the silence and said, in Sukkoth I erected a heap of stones, and called upon the Lord to be a witness between us. But in this spot, amid this silence, it seems to me that without memorial or sign, we are sure of his presence. Here he drew his figure to a greater height, and continued, And now I raise mine eyes to thee, Adonai, and address my humble words to thee, Jehovah, thou God of Abraham and our fathers, 
that thou mayest a second time be a witness between me and this man, whom thou thyself did summon to thy service, that he might be thy sword. He had uttered these words with eyes and hands uplifted, then turning to the other, he said with solemn earnestness, So I ask thee, Hosea, son of Nun, dost thou remember the vow which thou and I made before the stones in Sukkoth? I do, was the reply and in sore disaster and great peril i perceived what the most high desired of me and am resolved to devote to him all the strength of body and soul with which he has endowed me to him alone and to his people who are also mine henceforward i will be called joshua nor will i seek service with the egyptians or any foreign king for the lord our god through the lips of thy wife bestowed this name upon me then her with solemn earnestness broke in that is what i expected to hear and as in this place also the most high is a witness between me and thee and hears this conversation let the vow i made in his presence be here fulfilled the heads of the tribes and moses the servant of the lord appointed me to the command of the fighting men of our people but now thou dost call thyself joshua and hast vowed to serve no other than the lord our god i am well aware that thou canst accomplish far greater things as commander of an army than i who have grown gray in driving herds or any other hebrew by whatever name he is known so i will fulfil the vow sworn at sukkoth i will ask moses the servant of the lord and the elders to confide to thee the office of commander in their hands will i place the decision and because i feel that the most high beholds my heart let me confess that i have thought of thee with secret rancor yet for the welfare of the people i will forget what lies between us and offer thee my hand with these words he held out his hand to joshua and the latter grasping it replied with generous candor thy words are manly and mine shall be also for the sake of the people and the cause we both serve i will accept thy offer yet since thou hast summoned the most high as a witness and he hears me i too will not withhold one iota of the truth the lord himself has summoned me to the office of commander of the fighting men which thou dost desire to commit to me it was done through miriam thy wife and is my due yet i recognize thy willingness to yield thy dignity to me as a praiseworthy deed since i know how hard it is for a man to resign power especially in favor of a younger one whom he does not love thou hast done this and i am grateful i too have thought of thee with secret rancor for through thee i lost another possession harder for a man to renounce than office the love of a woman the hot blood mounted into hers cheeks as he exclaimed miriam i did not force her into marriage nay i didn't even purchase her according to the custom of our fathers with the bridal dowry she became my wife of her own free will i know it replied joshua quietly yet there was one man who had yearned to make her his longer and more ardently than thou and the fire of jealousy burned fiercely in his heart but have no anxiety for wert thou now to give her a letter of divorce and lead her to me that i might open my arms and tent to receive her i would exclaim why hast thou done this thing to thyself and to me for a short time ago i learned what woman's love is and that i was mistaken when i believed miriam shared the ardor of my heart 
besides during the march with fetters on my feet in the heaviest misfortune i vowed to devote all the strength and energy of soul and body to the welfare of our people nor shall the love of woman turn me from the great duty i have taken upon myself as for thy wife i shall treat her as a stranger unless as a prophetess she summons me to announce a new message from the lord with these words he held out his hand to his companion and as her grasped it loud voices were heard from the fighting men for messengers were climbing the mountain who shouting and beckoning pointed to the vast cloud of dust that preceded the march of the tribes end of chapter twenty four